Hey everybody, I'm Cass Midgley of the Everyone's Agnostic Podcast with a quick plug for the Nashville Nuns Convention, Saturday, March 5th. That's NanoCon for short. It's our attempt to jumpstart an annual convention. It started out as a simple bookstore appearance with David Silverman and quickly snowballed into something much bigger. It's a one-day event starting at 12.30 that afternoon, Saturday, March 5th. Opportunities to network and engage with some relevant topics all afternoon, followed by a dinner and dance afterward, and it's all free. Did you hear me? It's all free. Register and get more details online at NashvilleNuns.com. That's NashvilleNuns, N-O-N-E-S, dot com. We're featuring talks by David Silverman on his new book, Fighting God. The new ED of Recovering from Religion, Gail Jordan, will be with us in 12 workshops, of which you choose two, including discussions led by Teresa McBain, Callie Wright, Phil Ferguson, and many more. So come see us in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, Saturday, March 5th at Glencliff High School. We hope to see you there. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, let's get into this. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host for this one 195th regular episode, Jesse Dollimore, sitting across from me, the lovely, talented, and eager to accomplish that which is at hand, Brittany Page. Here I am. That was official sounding, wasn't it? It was really official. Good job. (laughs) A plus. You'd think that after almost 200 numbered episodes... I would have it together. I know. Since when did it uh, get this close to 200? It just happened. Well, it seems, though, it's dragging. Like, it's never going to happen that we're there, that we get there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, and I say that because because we do so many bonus episodes. (laughs) Oh, right. Because we put out so much extra content Mm -hmm. for debate coverage and everything else. It just seems like, goddamn, we, we we should have hit 200 long, long ago. So with the bonus episodes, it's probably more like 295. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> probably not. No, probably I don't think like, we're that goddamn dedicated. Probably like 213 or so, maybe. Oh, we're over 220, I bet. Okay. Let's probably not, let's not hash it out now, though. Okay. That doesn't seem... Entertaining? Yeah, not entertaining at all. Uh-huh. I do, before we get going, I want to talk about the intro to the show, which was uh, a drop for a convention in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, or is that Memphis? That's Nashville, right? I would not be the one to ask. Yeah, it's Nashville. Um, a nun's convention, an atheist, secular, agnostic, however you label yourself, or however you don't label yourself. Teehee. It is uh, it's a convention for you guys, for us, in Nashville, and you can go to NashvilleNuns.com. That's NashvilleNuns, N-O-N-E-S.com. March 5th is the date. 
And I only know one person who is involved in this, and that would be Cass Midgley, the person you just heard on the intro. And I can tell you that the spirit of this convention, if it's anything like Cass, will be good because the only involvement I've ever had with Cass was an argument on Facebook that was about as civil. We completely disagreed with one another, and it was awesome. It was as though he had listened to the show and understood the entire concept of moving the conversation forward. Because you know, Brittany, I have a patent on moving the conversation forward. You do. It is a trademarked, registered trademark of the show. Mm-hmm. If only. If only. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's possible, but I did hear that Taylor Swift tried to trademark 1989. Right. So, uh, so maybe anyway, you can. So anyway, uh, if you live in that area at all, and I know we do have some listeners that live in that part of the world, uh, this might be a cool thing to go to. If, if his reputation is at all rubbing off on the organization, it will be good because he's a good guy. So uh, check it out, NashvilleNuns.com. March 5th is the date, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Tell them Jesse and Brittany sent you. Huh? Mm. How about that? Yeah. So we got a lot to get to. Holy shit. What? Uh, I woke up on Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, and uh, death threats aplenty, everybody. Yeah, a lot of death threats. Goddamn. Who knew all you have to do, like I said last time, to to have white people hate you is stand up for your, your black brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Stand up for a marginalized group who isn't white. And apparently... It's a problem. You're, you're worthy of death. It is a problem. Apparently, you are, you are labeled a pink obese fag, among other things. Yikes. <laughs> I didn't know that my color was that pink. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, I do have a you rosy. Look pink right now. I have a rosy hue about me, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that I, w- I just came off like a like a baby pig. Okay, well these are also YouTube trolls. Total so trolls. So it's basically anything they say, just believe the opposite about yourself. So I, I do tend to do that. However, I've never been threatened to wake up dead. In my bed. They also did a little um, kind of shout out to the, the Saw movies, right? Oh, like, you want to play a game, he yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Well, our... And in the Saw movies, in case people don't know, um, you get kidnapped and then you get tortured. That's like the whole premise <laughs> of the movies. So, good times. Well, our morning was filled with kind of contemplation. What do we do here? And because, well, the other thing is, yeah, absolutely. The they address. also had your old address, an old address of yours. It isn't your current address. That's right. Well, it's my first, I call it the Craigslist department. <laughs> Craigslist department. It was yeah. the, the very first place I ever had when I first moved to California, right? which I acquired through a shady Craigslist ad. Yeah. And, and it was not the best place. It was not. <laughs> So, so this this person, whoever he is on Facebook, I'm assuming it's a he because I'm just that just that prejudiced. Well, hopefully they don't go after whoever's currently living there. Yeah, <laughs> I, maybe we should go knock on the door and be like, "Hey, man, sorry, I'm sorry, I." Uh... The person who used to live here is causing some trouble <laughs> on the internet, stirring up some madness with the trolls. Right. So, so here's the deal: we now have 
a P.O. box for the show. Yay! Yeah, I will. I registered all my websites private and everything else. So I want to give the, the the address for the website. If you'd like to communicate with us, it doesn't just have to be via. 657-464-7609 or emailing a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtedatdollamore.com. You can now use the wildly modern method <laughs> of the United States Postal Service, P.O. Box 15822, Newport Beach, California, 92659. Once again, that address, Box 15822, Newport Beach, California, 92659. Life is good. Life is regular again. Yeah. So th- there's really no intro. That's it. It's death threats. I'm alive. Box. I am alive. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just weird that they don't take into account that maybe this guy is not. Maybe I'm unhinged. Why would they just automatically think that? I'm not going to lose my 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 mind in an obsessive rage and find out who they are and well, smash their head with a brick. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of the I mean, that's not in me. That's not who I am. I yeah, anymore. I didn't know we had to clarify that, but <laughs> um, but I think that's just the essence of people on the internet. They're so detached from the human aspect of it. Right, and, I'm a person. Right, I'm not actually saying this to someone's face, so it's easy for me to say horrible things and threaten your life because yeah. well I'm not standing in front of you and I'm sure that person would never do that what well, we don't know they could but they might be someone who would never do something like that in person but on the internet they feel more comfortable doing that and I don't think they're really thinking about what your reaction's going to be they're probably just so angry or they're probably really just a troll and wanting to get a rise out of you and unfortunately, that also doesn't really happen. Well, they posted so. that old that old address several times in response to every single comment that was a dissenter of mine on the on the YouTube video. Oh, by the way, the YouTube video. Thank you to the audience. It's largely because of you. The video. It's probably over ten thousand views right now. And I, you know, thank you to the audience for going and checking it out. It's it's doing okay. Yes, thank you on behalf of Jesse for that. Um, <laughs> but so the other bummer thing is, is that person is spreading around an address of someone that we don't know. Yeah, and maybe they might be getting harassed. Yeah, and that's dangerous. Why are you yeah. spreading someone's address around on the internet? I mean, it's kind of a bummer for whoever is there now. I mean, <laughs> maybe we should like leave a note on their door and say something. I don't know. Maybe not. It's just trolls, right? That's what I think. Yeah. In fact, I, I was counseled by several different parties to contact the authorities and eh, I'm not going to give them wind in their sails. Mm-hmm. They're psycho sales. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's what it is. That's what it is. So let's get on to some more hate mail. Yeah. And then one more discussion. Yes. Based yes. email. First, we have someone who also disagreed with the video. Let's read this text message that we got. Your videos are horrible. Your viewpoints are off. You are completely irrelevant. Next time you try to make a valid response, do your research and make a valid educated point. Don't just laugh and attack the person. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say if I'm so irrelevant, then why are you wasting your time and your data texting such an irrelevant idiot? Because they're a troll. They are a troll. All right, let's get on to the more meaningful 
communication from loyal listener of the show, Cheyenne. Right. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. I was a police officer for 10 years. As you might imagine, I have a number of friends who are cops, about 80% of which are very conservative. As a lesbian and an atheist, I also have a number of friends who are extremely liberal. A few of my friends are both cops and liberal. That being said, I wanted to say a word about culture. When one generalizes about a group of people, individuals within that culture hear that information as referring to themselves as an individual, which is often very frustrating. When anyone says general police are statements, what most officers hear is you as an individual are a hero, a racist, a murderer. From my filthy liberal viewpoints... I can say, yes, there are police who fit into every one of those descriptions, but they are not the vast majority of officers. I worked in a department... I worked in a department of about 600 officers. I knew a handful who were terrible people. I occasionally made enemies by fighting back against them. The culture protected them to a degree. The culture is terrible for admitting its mistakes, including that they hired an asshole. Here is the thing, though. I worked with some very kind, very good-hearted people who legitimately wished to do good. They were by far the majority of the people that I worked with. I could write a long explanation of what's wrong with policing as well as what's wrong with the public's perception of policing, but that's not the issue at hand. Like with any culture, when you make negative, sweeping statements about the culture, you alienate the people within the culture who recognize a problem and seek to correct it. It's basic self-defense. Jesse, if I made a negative, sweeping generalization about Marines, you would naturally feel defensive, and maybe it would cause a shutdown in communication, something that your show is built to avoid. Even knowing that you don't mean all police are racist murderers doesn't make me feel less angry when I hear you refer to police this way. It makes it hard for me to hear your broader point. It would be great if you could both be more measured and reasonable when you speak about admitted failures in policing as to not alienate the people who need to hear it the most. Love the show. Thanks for moving the conversation forward. Did she did she not? uh... Love the show. Brittany's the best part. You know, not everybody gets things right. No, but I know that that was, I know that was really, really long. Um, but I wanted to read all of it because it was so well written and it was just such a beautifully constructed point. Well intended and well taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that I, I am guilty of that. I, I certainly sometimes I let my 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 passion or my anger get the best of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I would say this: I, I obviously don't think all cops are bad. Right. But even you, in your email, Cheyenne, said that the culture protected them. And then I I heard it as the culture protected them dot, 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 to a degree. Well, if they still have jobs, if those terrible people that you just mentioned, if they still have jobs, then there is a systemic problem that the system isn't weeding them out, mm-hmm. that they still have jobs. Yeah. I, I will scary. I will admit and I will apologize for generalizing. I shouldn't do that. That that doesn't move the conversation forward. Right. It certainly shuts down the people who are in this group mm-hmm. and that are good and you don't want to alienate those people because you like she said you automatically want to defend your people for and sure. so she was a, a police officer for ten years she very much apparently from from what I was getting from that message identifies with that community and sure. so if someone in that community is being attacked she wants to protect that community L- let me say this though there are probably thousands and thousands 
of good, good, good human beings who are Catholic priests. Probably many. Mm -hmm. But the fact remains that there is a, a systemic, endemic, filthy problem within the Catholic Church that needs to be dealt with. And some would say, well, you can't compare child rapists to, to, to bad cops. Yeah, you can. Child rape and murder, it's, it's equal footing as far as I'm concerned. And my critiques of the Catholic Church, they go hand in hand with pro police brutality. I'm not saying all cops are bad. But I'm certainly saying we have a problem and the good ones should stand up like you did and raise a fuss. Draw attention to the bad ones. The, the good ones should, should, should rise to positions of power to weed out the shitty cops. Because until that happens and until the culture changes, and this goes for both policing and the Catholic Church, until the culture changes... We got a goddamn problem, mm -hmm. and it's not going to go away because the culture is a problem. Thank you for your email. As always, look, I am not beyond reproach. If I make a mistake, I, I'm i willing to you know stand on the carpet and apologize for any problematic opinions that I have. Well, I appreciate her helping me out because, I mean, you're wrong so much on the show. <laughs> And I just, I can't always be here right. calling out your logical fallacies and, right. you know, et cetera. So yes. I really appreciate the messages that help me. Oh, yeah. Thank you for helping Brittany <laughs> so much. I appreciate it. Really. Well, this kind of leads us to a topic we talked about last time. Marcus's email re relative to torture. And the comments I made about torture, that I'm against it, but there are times that I believe it could be useful and it should be reserved for extreme circumstances. And I mentioned that the APA in no way yes. <laughs> approves of Brittany torture. Yes, stands behind her organization, <laughs> the American Psychological Association. But I, I said I would forward to Marcus a, a little a brief snippet a talk that Sam Harris gave, or a, not a talk, a, a conversation he had with Kyle Kalinske over at the Secular Talk. I think he's affiliated somehow with the Young Turks. Not sure. Um, well, I'm not going to forward it to you, Marcus. I'm going to play it right now because I got several messages. Apparently, my audience wasn't happy with me mm -hmm. and my opinions on this. So I'm going to play this. If you've already heard this conversation, this is a four-minute and three-second clip. There's no need to listen to it again unless you really like the sound, the dynamic sound, the entertaining tone of Sam Harris's voice. This is him talking. I feel like now you're being a dick. <laughs> is that what's happening? When, when am I not? Come on. <laughs> anyway, here is Sam Harris talking about torture. Here you go. I mean, we can, you know, I, we can talk about the ethics of torture. It's, it's just, I mean, torture is a word. This is one of these, one of the problems here is that a word like torture or a word like profiling is so loaded and everyone th thinks they know what you mean by it and it's just it, it, people get emotionally hijacked and they they're unwilling to even process it you are you are 
stigmatized for even raising the the topic of conversation. Whereas you're not if you're talking about collateral damage, which is much much worse than either of those things. Um, now, what I mean, torture is everything. I mean, torture is making someone deliberately making someone in your custody uncomfortable for the purpose of of making them talk. Right. That so that runs the full gamut from. You know, depriving them of sleep, which which is in fact torture. I mean, if you deprive someone of sleep long enough, they die. Okay, so sleep deprivation is torture, and it's. So, but so the, so the question is, are we ethically required to give members of Al Qaeda a full eight hours of sleep every night for the for the for the, the entirety of their time in prison? Is that an ethical requirement? Uh, I don't get eight hours of sleep, right? So, so I, I think the answer to that is no. So now already you're on a slippery slope to, well, just how uncomfortable are we going to make them, and for what purpose? But people don't want to talk about this. It's a, you, you, you feel like you're participating in, you know, the the, the Inquisition of, of of the 14th century, even going down this road. But the reality is, is that good, well-intentioned people who are trying to keep open societies safe have to have to think these issues through. So everything I've written about torture is an effort to try to understand the ethics of this situation. And my view on torture, I mean, though I've been slimed as a, a pro-torture pro lunatic by people like Greenwald, my view on torture is exactly the view you get from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Now, I just happened to discover that after I wrote The End of Faith, but it is, in fact, the exactly that view that that famous handbook of evil the the stanford's uh, encyclopedia of philosophy p enunciates the same ethical position on torture and um and and so in a in a context of thinking through the ethics i you know i stand by everything i've said about uh, on torture i do think it it should be illegal for for some reasons i've spelled out but there are things that are illegal which in certain cases are not only ethical but you would have to be a monster not to do them, right? And I think uh, you can easily think of a situation where you, by not by by refusing to get your hands dirty and make make the person in your custody at all uncomfortable, you would be a, a monster, right? And and the, the actually the case in the Stanford Encyclopedia is is a perfect case. I wish I had known about it but when I wrote the the end of faith. They talk about a situation where they get in the car. I yeah. Read so, that. So, so people should read that. If you think you are in some way moral or noble or, or above the fray, if you say, no, no, I wouldn't lay a hand on that guy, right, and just let the kid, you know, die of, of heat stroke in the back of a car while you've got his mother in, in the, you know, 10 feet away, hysterical, right, and you know this guy is guilty, right, there's no doubt about that. You know he knows where the kid is, right, so people should read this. This is the... the um, it's in the Stanford Encyclopedia. I, I link to it from uh, my blog uh, on my page, uh, Response to Controversy. But it's in the Stanford Encyclopedia article on torture. I think it's like example 3.1 or something. Uh, this is this is a clear – and so they, they, they smack this guy around and he immediately tells them where the kid is and the kid's life is safe. Now, uh, smacking someone around is torture, right? You, if you slap someone across the face, you are beginning to torture them, Right. Would you have slapped that guy across the face? And I leave that question to the audience. Would you? And I would further say that if you would not, I do believe that's a moral failing. If you can save the lives 
of many other people while inflicting pain on one person, why would you not do that? If the lives of innocents can be saved at the hands of inflicting, you know, a nominal amount of pain upon one person. And again, just like Sam Harris said, and I don't take my opinion from him, he just augments my opinion. He's just smarter than me and able to articulate it better. Um, it, I don't believe it should be used. I've said that. I've said that. I've said that. But apparently it's unreasonable to think that there might be some circumstance where it should be employed. Well, and like Sam Harris said, I mean, even if you have the position that it's bad, that it shouldn't be done, you know, the APA says under no circumstances should anyone be participating in that. That's a part of, you know, the psychology community. But is it okay to have the conversation? Is it okay to have the ethical dilemma conversation? And yes, it is. And it should be because it's an important conversation to have. And Absolutely. It's, it's okay to talk about the ideas. There's nothing wrong with talking about the ideas, right? Yeah, I agree. I think that you're 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 a little softer on it than me, probably a lot softer on it than I am. Because uh, I believe that it's not we're just a conversation. I think that we are in a world, we live in a space where it's reality that we will face a time when it might need to be used, when it very likely will need to be used. I don't, I'm not cheering for that day to come, but I'm just a realist about it. So I hope this, you know, I probably won't lay anything to rest, but I'm not a monster. I am not unreasonable, as Marcus somewhat indicated. <laughs> Look, I'm a loving guy who loves humanity and I love my safety, but I love my liberty. And these are complex issues. It's not a right and wrong. It's not an absolute situation. Mm -hmm. There's a conversation to be had. That is what is beautiful about all of this. We are, by doing this, moving that conversation forward. Speaking of moving the conversation forward, let's move the show forward. A little bit of research from Harvard and Stanford Economics. Rich kids staying rich, poor kids staying poor. So a team of researchers released a paper on how growing up in poverty affects boys and girls differently. Their main finding was that boys who grow up in poor families fare substantially worse in adulthood in terms of employment and earnings than girls who grow up in the same circumstances. The research points to a deeper truth, which is in the U.S., where you come from, where you grow up, how much your parents earn, and whether your parents were married, all play a major role in determining where you will end up later in life. In the paper, the researchers focus on the differences between men and women, which were striking. Men from middle class and affluent families are more likely to work than women, but among the poor, the opposite is true. Hmm. It's an exception that holds up in national data, and in segregated, heavily minority communities like Baltimore, places where rates of incarceration, poverty, and single-parent families run high, the gender divide is especially wide. Poor children struggle there, but boys are left even further behind. These are among the latest results of a groundbreaking research project that has used the tax records of millions of Americans stripped of identifying information to show that our economic prospects as adults are heavily shaped by where we live as children. Children. And in Baltimore, for example, about 71% of girls born in the early 1980s to poor families were working at age 30. 
Among boys of similar backgrounds, 58% were. In Washington, the difference is even more pronounced. 72% of poor girls, but just 56% of poor boys would be employed by age 30. That divide, a kind of reverse gender gap, suggests that boys may be more susceptible than girls to the harmful effects of growing up in unstable, high-poverty environments. It's kind of a deal where you, you replicate what you see. You know what I mean? Monkey mm-hmm. see, monkey do. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a very poor area. Obviously white, but I, I grew up in a very impoverished area where if your dad was a was a was a, a laborer, you, you likely are, are going to be a laborer because that's you don't set your 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 sights higher than what you see on a daily basis. Yeah, one thing that was interesting that the researchers said is that the differences that emerge aren't mere coincidence, and they're not an example of people self-sorting into communities. Rather, they suggest something about the environments like Baltimore and Washington and altering employment outcomes for the poor children who grew up there, an argument they support by looking at how families fare when they move away. The findings raise questions about fundamental differences between boys and girls and places where children thrive and where they don't. The results also challenge the idea that unemployed men, particularly in inner cities, have become jobless through laziness or that they simply need to take more responsibility. Quote, if you could put yourself in their shoes, if you grew up where they grew up, we think you'd basically have the same chance of doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think this is a really profound idea and something that we lose touch with, especially when the political season comes around. Sure. And or when race gets involved. Right. And it becomes a pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of conversation where people forget how influential it is, um, how you were raised, what your childhood was like and what opportunities you were exposed to. And then you add on top of that living in an area where there aren't a lot of opportunities, where there isn't a lot of money in your school. And so your education isn't the best. And all these factors just compound on one another and you're in a really tight spot. It's where my my flavor of Conservatism really kicks in, and I've talked about it on the show many times, where if you were, if we were to, as a people, as a government, spend a little bit more money in the short term, in the medium term, get these single moms to college, get these men to college, get them educated, get them jobs, then their children, there will be an expectation for their children to go to school they will have the means to send them to school. Their children, we, we, they will go to school. They will have jobs. We will have broken the cycle of poverty. And you will eventually, over a generation or so, stop that welfare cycle. And you're wisely spending. You're being a good steward of the people's money. That is what conservatism is. Well, Not cutting off the welfare rolls all to fucking gather. Well, and this quote also is something that I liked. Quote, that means somewhere along the line, a combination of family, schools, and policy failed this particular population. This didn't happen when they turned 21. This happened when they were little. Right. And you hear a lot of, you know, from like the Tommy Lawrence of the world and people that say... <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, we right, do hear and, from them. And people that say it's all about your choices. You can choose something different. And it really isn't that simple. Right. You can choose... To pull yourself up by your goddamn bootstraps. It is... That's bullshit. It is 
more complicated than that. Well, nuance is not the friend of the lower thinker. I would consider her and her ilk amongst the lower thinkers. And they also said something interesting, which is if a little girl falls down, we want to grab her. We want to coddle her. We want to heal her. And when it comes to men and boys, it's a different philosophy. We believe they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps. So in terms of boys growing up to be men and not faring as well, it's because, well, from a very young age, they're just kind of, well, get your S together already. Um, Man up, tough up. Right. But girls are cared for. And maybe that isn't a great thing. I mean... It's, it would seem that way from this research, but who knows? So I just thought this was really interesting, and I appreciate anything that um, challenges the pick yourself up by your bootstraps uh, aspect of too. things. So I, I wanted to talk about it. Goddamn. All right. Moving on. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. All right. While I was down at my local post office getting the aforementioned post office box, I mailed a batch of stickers to Patreon supporters. So John and Thea, Chris and Liz, Brian, Taylor, Josh, all of your stickers are they're on the way via the trustworthy and reliable United States Post Office. So now if you don't get them, <laughs> tell us. That's right. And for those of you who aren't on this list, if you have not received your stickers, let us know. Email a voice memo to your smartphone. I doubt it at dollamore.com. And one more time, just because we just got the post office box today, P.O. Box 15822, Newport Beach, California, 92659. All right. The other thing is we have a Republican debate on the February 25th and on March 3rd that we're going to be covering as bonus episodes, normal, regular, Patreon-only bonus episodes. So if you want to take part in that conversation, join the party. Moving on. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So this should have been part of follow-up because it was uh, so Trump-related and politics-related. I saved it until Dollamocracy. It appears as though Trump trolls are targeting veterans' charities. Veterans' groups who stood up to Donald Trump's pandering are now being routinely bombarded with nasty messages from his supporters who want to punish them for daring to challenge Donald Trump. The CEO of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America learned this firsthand when he stood up to the Republican presidential frontrunner in late January, saying he would decline any donations from Trump's charitable foundation if offered, quote, We've gotten a flood of nasty attacks, many scary and threatening emails, the worst social media I've ever seen, showing what happens when you simply say no. This is the climate he has created with his followers. Yes. 
This is a veterans charity. This isn't just some veterans group like, yeah, we got a support group. We get together and talk. This is a charity for wounded warriors. This group that Donald Trump talks about ad nauseum. My people. Right. So the CEO of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America was called, quote, a fucking scumbag. Ugh was told to, quote, get off your ass and get the funding or get fired. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut and take the money. And I hope your asses get audited. So this is just a couple of the things that they were right. receiving. Um, people were giving physical threats. You better watch out next time you hold an event. God damn. Um, so... Things got really out of hand. And I mean, this is just from not accepting a donation. It wasn't even not accepting a donation. It was for not publicly accepting the donation prior to the primary and being used as a political pawn. You know, it's and it really is. The guy nailed it when he said this is the environment that Donald Trump has cultivated. Yeah, so it's really disturbing. But hey, we know how you feel. Absolutely. Well, in more alarming news about Donald Trump, he, well, listen, he has said that, uh, you know, listen, I like my people, my soldiers who weren't captured, all right? You know, talking about war hero John McCain, he has said horrible things about Megyn Kelly and her period blood. He has said that he wants to have sex with his daughter, effectively. Uh... If you would think that it would be out of the realm of possibility for him to praise Saddam Hussein, you would be wrong. You know, Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. But one thing about him, he killed terrorists. Now Iraq is Harvard for terrorism. You want to become a terrorist, you go to Iraq. Saddam Hussein understood, and he killed terrorists. Bad guy. But if the president and other people, and frankly, Obama was no better because the way he got us out was a disaster. So if you say Saddam Hussein was a bad guy, but, but yeah, if you finish that with a but or you transition with a but, there's a problem. Right. I'm not racist, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's never going to go well with it the but. It should be and. Saddam Hussein is a, was a terrible person. And yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, let me continue on this point, not transition away from it. There shouldn't be a but. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Anyway, related to Donald Trump, and also a little bit, you know, tangentially related to, not tangentially, directly related to torture, Eric Trump was on one of the talking shows discussing waterboarding and Donald Trump's statement at one of the debates that we're going we're gonna to be doing waterboarding and a hell of a lot more, which David Muir did not follow up on. Listen to this exchange. He, let me just ask you about the campaign the night. He said that he would do more than waterboarding. <laughs> um, any idea, what does that mean? Since the rest of us don't know him, what would he do that's more than waterboarding? 
Yeah, well, listen, you see these terrorists that are flying planes into buildings, right? You see our cities getting shot up in California. You see Paris getting shot up. And then somebody complains when, you know, terrorists gets waterboarded, which, quite frankly, is no different than what happens on college ca you know, campuses and frat houses every day. And, you know, the man would keep this country safe. There's no question about it. He's got amazing backbone. He's a tough guy. He's sick of the nonsense. And he wants to protect this country. And that's why he's doing this. I mean, he's sick of seeing what's happening to this country, whether it be on trade, whether it be $19 trillion worth of national debt, whether it be, you know, with the terrorists coming in and trying to infiltrate our country. I mean, he would be very, very, very tough. I mean, that's who the man is. He's a very tough guy. Who in the hell is this Ivy League educated billionaire's son? They have a weird idea. Donald Trump always says, I'm the most militaristic person you've ever seen. I'll be, I'm the most, uh, you know, my time at, uh, at the uh, his his fucking military, military. academy mm -hmm. that it was ju it was just like the military. Oh yeah, yeah. They have a weird view of reality. Well, what does being a tough guy have to do about anything? Because Donald Trump's just going to be in the White House, surrounded by Secret Service, right? Making decisions in a comfortable environment. He's not actually going to be like a soldier. Well, for sure. But what I'm saying is. What does he think waterboarding is? If he thinks this is happening in college frat houses all across America. And then somebody complains when, you know, terrorists gets waterboarded, which quite frankly is no different than what happens on college ca you know, campuses and frat houses every day. And it is no different than what happens in college frat houses and colleges, uh, campuses all across the country every day. I wish that Greta would have been like, uh, wait, wait, I think you're thinking of a keg stand. Yeah, now no. this is waterboarding. <laughs> So it is Christopher Hitchens subjected himself to waterboarding and there's a YouTube video of it. He said it was terrifying. It mm -hmm. was one of the most terrifying experiences of his life. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly what the words are that he said, but it, he intimated it was not a good time. He did a video of it um, on it's Vanity on YouTube Fair, right? for Vanity Fair. Yeah. And then he also wrote an article with it. Um, about the experience and it is not something if, if it is something that's happening in frat houses that's probably <laughs> like hazing and that's illegal well, it's um, beyond hazing Jesus yeah Christ. so that should not be happening um but i don't believe that it is so again i'm just wondering what he thinks waterboarding is yeah, it really just runs it, it, it points to this weird disconnect from the real world that this trump family seems to have just bizarre. So before he goes on a show next time to discuss waterboarding, why doesn't he open his iPhone and do a quick little waterboard search <laughs> on the Google app and just read like the Wikipedia page just really quick to figure out what it is exactly that you'll be talking about? Do you hear that, Eric Trump? Brittany Page has some sage advice for you. Real good advice. <laughs> Real good. All right. Well, President Obama gave a speech. Uh... Today or yesterday? Tuesday or Wednesday? Yes. And he was asked directly about the candidacy of Donald Trump, and he had something to say. Uh, I'll leave it to you to speculate on how this whole race is going to go. Uh, I continue to believe Mr. Trump will not be president. And the reason is because I have a lot of faith in the American people. And I think they recognize that being president is a serious job. It's not hosting a talk show or a reality show. It's not promotion. 
It's not marketing. It's hard. And a lot of people count on us getting it right. And it's not a matter of pandering and, 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 and doing whatever will get you in the news on a given day. And sometimes it requires you making hard decisions even when people don't like it. And doing things that are unpopular. And standing up for people who are vulnerable but don't have some powerful political constituency. And it requires being able to work with leaders around the world uh, in a way that reflects the importance of the office um, and gives people confidence that you know the facts and you know their names and you know where they are on a map and you know something about their history and you're not just going to play to the crowd back home because they have their own crowds back home and you're trying to solve problems. And so, yeah, during primaries, people vent and they express themselves and it seems like entertainment and oftentimes it's reported just like entertainment. But as you get closer, reality has a way of intruding. And these are the folks who, who I have faith in because they ultimately are going to say, whoever's standing where I'm standing right now has the nuclear codes with them and can order 21-year-olds into a firefight and have to make sure that the banking system doesn't collapse and is often responsible for not just the United States of America but 20 other countries that are having big problems or are falling apart and are going to be looking for us to do something. And the American people are pretty sensible. And I think they'll make a, a, a sensible choice in the end. All right? Thanks, everybody. Thank you. So let me say this. Again, let me say this. I love how silent the room was. I really like lame duck Obama. Yeah. He is, he is an endearing character. Mm-hmm. And then also, let me say this. Goddamn, I hope the GOP electorate is listening and taking heed to what he says. And do you think they are? No, I do not. Mm-hmm. But this, he's talking about the seriousness, the import of the job. There's president of these United States, commander-in-chief, of by far the most powerful military on the planet. I love that he did it in a very intellectual way as well. He, you know, made fun of him for just being entertainment, the entertainment right. value, yeah. but in a way that was very educational and intelligent and didn't seem like a dig because it was delivered in such a eloquent way. Right, right. And I love how it was such a silent room. Everyone was just... Oh, Hanging on every yeah, word. Listening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. what is he going to say? Oh, right. this is so good. But he said he said all the right things. Every single thing he said was awesome. And everyone who loves Donald Trump, I just, instead of hating Obama and being incapable of understanding or even wanting to hear anything that he has to say, I wish that they would just put that aside and really listen right. to what he's saying. Hopefully, he's right. However, just... 
just in case he's not, there is a website out there that is inviting fugitive, or shouldn't I say probably fugitive, uh, refugee Americans to flee to Nova Scotia, Canada to live up there on the beautiful island by the sea. A website put up by a Canadian radio host from Nova Scotia invites Americans worried about life under a President Donald Trump to relocate north. The message says, Hi, Americans. Donald Trump... (laughs) It has an exclamation point. Hi, Americans. Yeah. Eh? Donald Trump may become the president of your country. Another exclamation point. If that happens and you decide to get the hell out of there, might I suggest moving to Cape breton island wow there's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh pictures photos and and i actually know someone from near there and it is a beautiful area it is awesome don't wait until donald trump is elected president to find somewhere else to live start now that way on election day you just hop on a bus to start your new life in cape brenton where women can get abortions muslim people can roam freely (laughs) And the only walls are holding up the roofs of our extremely affordable houses. <laughs> oh, too goddamn good. Mm-hmm. So good. So we will post this website on the Facebook page. And I would encourage you to check it out. Maybe uh, you're looking for a change of pace in the unfortunate event of a Trump administration. Although I would agree with President Obama. There's not a goddamn chance, not a chance, that he's going to get elected. It will be a Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton administration if he gets the nomination. Mm-hmm. Even if Ted Cruz gets the nomination. Oh, boy. Come on. Oh, boy. All right. Speaking of a Bernie Sanders administration, 538 just wrote an article, posted an article about Bernie's path to the nomination. Right. So... He has a lot of hurdles to jump through. Yes, he does. And Nate Silver wrote an article and he said, here are the states he needs to win. Because a lot of the questions are surrounding, well, which states really are the must wins for Sanders in March, April and beyond? Nate Silver says, we can try to answer those questions with the help of a gigantic chart. (laughs) Charts are Nate Silver's friend. Yes. So I'll just break it down a bit because I'm not going to go through the gigantic chart. The gigantic chart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Nevada is the next state. Right. That is and he, Saturday. He looks set to win as far as I know. It is about a 50-50 chance according to 538. 50% that Bernie will win, 50% that Hillary will win. And according to Nate Silver here, he says that a Sanders win in Nevada would be a sign that he has staying power. Yeah. So if he wins in Nevada, that is a very, very good sign. I th- I think he will. I think he'll win. I think Iowa gave him the juice. And coming out of New Hampshire, it's good for him. It's for sure good for him. 
So South Carolina would be the state after that. Clinton is the overwhelming favorite in mm-hmm. South Carolina. Yeah, she's going to win. Um, but her margin of victory could be a useful benchmark for where the race stands nationally. Suppose, for instance, that Clinton winds up winning by 17 percentage points in South Carolina, a bit closer than most polls have it. Would that be a good result for her or a bad one? The chart that Nate Silver created projects that Clinton would win South Carolina by 11 points in a 50-50 race. So she'd be doing a little bit better than the benchmark but not a lot better. Such a result would still suggest that the national race had tightened. So even if she Mm. wins, that's not necessarily a bad thing for Bernie if it's close. Right. Well, it's the same with Iowa. Mm -hmm. He didn't win technically, but as close as it was, it was as good as a win for him. Right. Now, Super Tuesday's March 1st. So Clinton... Clinton is likely to compile a lot of delegates from the seven southern states that vote on Super Tuesday. Although Oklahoma, which is a quasi-Midwestern and relatively white state, might be Sanders' best shot at an upset. Sanders should win Vermont by a huge margin. That leaves the Minnesota caucus, Colorado caucus, and Massachusetts primary as the races to watch. They're the sort of states that Sanders absolutely needs to win to have a shot at taking the nomination. Right. Well, let, let me say this about the the white states black vote issue with Bernie. I, I think that as time goes on, that metric is starting to shift. I think more of the black vote is starting to know a little bit more about Bernie Sanders. Is, is starting to hear more about him. They're starting to see those black um, leaders, black celebrities or whatever, who are supporting Bernie Sanders and starting to come around, warming up to a Bernie presidency so then march 8th and march 15th are the big state primaries this is probably the most important eight day stretch on the democratic calendar according to nate silver a lot of states are going to vote then um but he does say you know at this point we're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves and it's important to see how nevada goes and then go from there right so saturday he's 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 uh he's being very conservative nate silver (laughs) because he's been so wrong this election cycle. Well, he's not known for calling everything like this. He's known for calling the election once we know who the nominees are. Right. Okay. No, well, he's, he calls, the, yeah, that's true. You're right. <laughs> All right. I'm dumb. No, you're not. All right. Let's, we got, so we had so much on the board. We, the, our rundown board, we're just, I'm skipping this, I'm skipping that, I'm skipping. Let's get to, let's wrap up the show with a little bit Kind of going full circle here, talking about the Vatican and the Catholic Church with, with, with Cheyenne's email relative to police. Let's wrap this up with quite a bit of talk about the Catholic mess that's happening right now in so many different facets. As you well know, I would assume, there is a, 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 a I don't know if I would call it a pandemic yet, but there's a problem in South and Central America with the Zika virus which is a mosquito-facilitated disease that doesn't necessarily kill individuals, but it causes horrific birth defects amongst children of the infected. Mm-hmm. Microencephaly. It That's makes right. their brain smaller. Little head tiny smaller. heads on these babies, mm-hmm. and they're deformed, and mm-hmm. they are, they're cognitively deficient. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a problem. Very sad. So in these countries, they are advising women not to get pregnant because of this risk. They, meaning the government. The government. Well, the Vatican has come out and said, now our, our policy on contraception remains 
the same in spite of the overwhelming chances of you having deformed children. After a period of saying little, bishops in Latin America are beginning to speak up and reassert the church's opposition to birth control and abortion, positions that in Latin America are unpopular and often disregarded even among Catholics. Quote, contraceptives are not a solution, the secretary general of the National Council of Bishops of Brazil said in an interview, quote, there is not a single change in the church's position. He urged couples to practice chastity uh, or use natural family planning, a method in which women monitor their menstrual cycles and abstain from sex when they are fertile, because we know how well that works. Right. So what's disturbing about this is that they can't see past their dogma here and realize what might be best for humans at this point. And say... And not even just humans. The most innocent humans among us. The most vulnerable humans. Infants. They just don't fucking care. What we say about birth control, our arcane insanity takes precedence over the health, welfare, and well-being of children. Well, and it's really disturbing because this is a way to prevent harmful things from happening yes. to these babies. Absolutely. And it's a very simple thing. And it just would be nice if they would quit reasserting these things that make people feel guilty and bad. And like if they don't do them, then they're com sinful. Completely arbitrary. And it's, um, it's just really tragic. Yeah. Well, the other thing is everybody's favorite pope Every liberal's favorite pope, every atheist's favorite pope, Pope Francis, recently called protesters who are protesting an honorable thing, he called them stupid or dumb. Many watched in disbelief as Pope Francis called protesters in a city in southern Chile dumb for demonstrating against a bishop accused of being complicit in sexual abuse within the church. Uh the community is suffering because it's dumb, Pope Francis told a group of tourists on St. Peter's Square in Vatican City because it, quote, has let its head be filled with what politicians say, judging a bishop without any proof. Don't be led by the nose of the leftists who orchestrated all of this, the Pope said. This is everybody's favorite Pope who created this tribunal, this commission to, to research and get to the bottom of child abuse in the Vatican. What have I said inside of a year and a half? Let's wait and see. Until someone gets fired, until, until someone gets prosecuted, it is a, 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 a paper tiger. It is a toothless animal. So the bishop that they're protesting was appointed by the Pope to the head of the diocese of this country in southern Chile. And despite the reports that he had covered up sexual abuses committed by another priest in another country, the Pope still appointed him to right. this position. And Pope Francis is supposed to be more sensitive to this stuff. Of course. And instead of being sensitive to it, he said they're dumb and being led by the leftists. Now, what does that sound like? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It was business as usual. Par for the course. 
Yes, it also sounds like a politician in the United States. It doesn't sound like someone who is right, right. the um, vicar of Christ. Right. The mouthpiece of Jesus on the planet. Yeah, the vicar of Christ is calling you dumb. I mean, that has to be a little alarming. <laughs> well, related to all of this, the Vatican apparently says that bishops, in, a, in an official report, says that bishops have no obligation to report child rape to the authorities. Do Catholic bishops have an obligation to report allegations of sexual abuse to authorities? According to the Vatican, no. The church is allegedly telling newly ordained bishops that the decision should be left to the victims and their families. A church training document outlining protocols for handling sexual abuse allegations reportedly cites different laws in different countries as the reason. Victim support groups are furious. Wayne Chamley of Broken Rights said the document is unfathomable and yet it does not surprise me. Pope Francis has said everything possible must be done to rid the church of the scourge of sexual abuse. Yet CruxNow.com reports that the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors that he created had no input in the bishop's training program. So what does that say about everybody's favorite pope? About the man who washes the feet of the poor and is so concerned about the problem of child, of brutal child rape. In the Catholic Church. Well, and here's part of the problem. So this document states, quote, according to the state of civil laws of each country where reporting is obligatory, it is not necessarily the duty of the bishop to report suspects to authorities. The police or state prosecutors in the moment when they are made aware of crimes or sinful deeds. Now, that's the problem right there. That shouldn't even be a part of the sentence. That shouldn't even be something that's in there. Sinful deeds. Right. That shouldn't be something that's being said. It's, it's crimes. a fucking crime. You stop with crimes. You period. End it there. The sentence ends there. Because this isn't a religious issue. It's not something that should be handled within the church. No. It it's is like a rape on college campus. It doesn't matter what the administration says. It's a crime. This should be handled by the authorities. It's a criminal issue. That's right. It's not just a sinful deed. Ugh. And identifying it as that is honestly detracting from the criminal elements. Well, their, their, their heart, their head's not in the right place. It's so, terrible, abhorrent behavior. Very disappointing for me. Right. Well, it just, you know, I, look. Oh, God. What have I been saying this entire time? That you love Pope Francis. Yeah, fuck this guy. He's no different than any other pope. Great. He goes out and visits the poor. Awesome. What is he doing for the least among us? The most vulnerable among us? Nothing. He's in a position to do something, and he turns his goddamn back on them. Fuck this guy. All right. So Jesse's pretty angry, <laughs> you guys. All right, let's leave it there. Normally, we leave you happy, we leave you upbeat, but I want you to marinate on this. Think about this. Go tell your friends who love this guy what he's doing. He's telling people who are concerned about the issue in South America that they're dumb, and then he allows a policy to come out of the Vatican which says, eh, we don't need to report Abuse. Well, and I, I want to say something because you're you going to be metered. You're a little angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and no, you're, it's right. It's right to be angry. Um, but 
I don't understand why it's controversial to make criticisms of the Catholic Church, of the Vatican, of the Pope. These, again, should be conversations that are okay to have, that yes. are not offensive. And th they should be okay to have amongst Catholics. Yes. Look, everybody expects me to mouth off about the Pope. Everyone. No one's going to think I'm going to be, oh, he's a great guy. I don't know what that was, um, but no one's going to say that. Everybody's going to think, yeah, Jesse's not going to be a fan. But when you're a Catholic, it should be okay to have these very important conversations well, even, about the policies within your church. Even outside of that, people are very you know, politically correct in these areas and don't want to step on any toes. But the thing is, this is important. And it's an honest critique of an institution and ideas. It's not a critique of Catholics. No, of course the not. The people. It's not a critique of the people. It's a critique of the institution, the ideas, and yeah, the Pope, because he is running an organization. Right. Unless, you're, unless you are a person, a Catholic, an individual, a human, in this organization who is turning a blind eye to the abuse, then you do need to be criticized. Mm -hmm. There are some, not all. I think the vast majority are probably wonderful, decent people who are just, it's cultural for them, and uh, it's tough to, you know, where do you go? Right. So, again, marinate on that, everybody. This has been episode 195. If you'd like to communicate with the show, if you too would like to pile on hating on your humble host, 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for helping us move the conversation forward. We are doing great things here. We're making a difference. You, Brittany, me, we're doing good things. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. The person who used to live here is causing some trouble on the internet. <laughs>